So firstly, Mick established his lead. What a trick you are. I'm after around. winning my second quiz in a row on my return and you haven't stopped be bullshitting ever since. It's absolute no, nonsense. No, no, no. Celebrate Boo my greatness. Yeah. OTB AM, live weekday mornings from 7.30 on the OTB Sports app. The Football Show on Off The Ball. With Sky. Watch Premier League, Women's Super League, EFL, Scottish Premiership and much more. Live on Sky Sports. I'm prepared to end it I can. Well, do it then. Do it then. What about your start to the game? I was, it wasn't bad, was it? Why <laughs> well, should there be an honest answer be a mistake? How can a modern day manager not have a mobile phone? Why should he? Welcome back to Off The Ball Saturday here on Newstalk. Shane Hannan with you through until 5pm this evening. If you missed that Barry Hearn interview before the ad break, really, really fascinating stuff with Barry. He was in great form, spoke to him at the Crucible uh, in Sheffield. Well, he was at the Crucible. I was sitting on my gaff in Monaghan, uh, of course, on Zoom. But uh, really fascinating guy. He's got a book out there a couple of days ago as well. The book called My Life, Knockouts, Snookers, Bullseyes, Tight Lines and Sweet Deals, released a couple of days ago. But... Um, some really fascinating stories uh, about uh, bearing his arse so Ronnie O'Sullivan could be uh, turned professional at the age of 16 uh, managing Chris Eubank Steve Davis all the rest as well so that podcast is up on the OTB Sports app or wherever you get your podcasts and of course the full video as well is uh, youtube.com forward slash off the ball still loads to come football Saturday from 3 to 5 Johnny Ward Graham Gartland and uh, Simon Cox will, will be with me it has gone full time at St James's Park and Liverpool are back top of the Premier League for a few hours at least at uh, St James's Park for that one Newcastle against Liverpool was Stephen Goldsmith. Newcastle nil, Liverpool won first blood to Liverpool in the title race this weekend. A hard-fought win here that they had to earn against a dogged Newcastle side. Naby Keita scored in the first half, finishing a move that angered the Newcastle faithful. A strong Milner tackle being called as fair. Liverpool continued to play and scored as a result. Despite a nervy finish, Mane and Jota twice could and should have wrapped this game up earlier, but chances were missed. They held on though for a vital three points. Newcastle nil, Liverpool one. Result moves Liverpool to 82 points, uh, two points ahead of Manchester City who are on 80 and uh, now a five goal better off goal difference for Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool as well. Of course Man City in action at half past five away to Leeds at Ellen Road. Uh, just time to mention as well that uh, during Off the Ball's brand new Women's Six Nations feature in association with Vodafone Ireland, we all belong to the team of us. Three of the first ever Irish women's internationals, Captain Jill Henderson, Therese Kennedy and Tanya Waters look back on how Irish women's rugby all started. Have a listen. We have 70 people were nominated to go for the trials uh, in a Cook Rugby Club at that time. So it was very exciting. I know I was so positive I undertook to uh, see if we could get sponsorship because uh, practicality where we didn't, we had no money. We were going to this international match. We had no kit. We'd... uh, we had nothing, and, uh, and we only had, like, what, about a month or two months? We had an idea. <laughs> we had a plan. <laughs> we had nothing yeah. else. Everyone had to, to pay for themselves, yeah. didn't they, yeah. to so get over, though. Breakfast. Yeah. Can, yeah. Can you actually believe, like, really, we, we played an international match without having a proper training yeah. session. Yeah. I can remember being in the, sitting on the stairs in the bed and breakfast. The um, night before the The night match. before, introducing yeah. each other. Yeah, because yeah, we didn't Remember, know each other's names. Two trials, you've got to pay for your accommodation, you've got to pay mm. for your shirt. You, we just couldn't, yeah, because I, we wouldn't yeah. have had a team. I suppose the thing was that on the Irish team, I mean, 10 of the players were based in the UK and five players were based yeah. in Ireland. So that made it very difficult to organise any sort of yeah, training yeah. session. Because uh, there, there, was no, there was no Ryanair then, was there? So it was all Aer Lingus, so it was quite 
expensive to come yeah. across at the yeah. time. There was no mobile phones and there was no email. So we're God, we sound really old now. <laughs> I know, it's awful. <laughs> you kind of forget yeah. about these things. No, we had, when, when I got the call about selection, I'd given him my work phone number and my rugby club phone number. And I was at my rugby club when they rang and the phone was in the foyer and, and I was in the clubhouse and everybody came, everyone was waiting at the door and I'm like, hello? And then when they said I got in, it was like massive cheer, but it was like, there was no privacy. Like you had yeah. to just stand there. Yeah. Brilliant. So I'm glad I got in. Yep, three of the first ever Irish women's rugby internationals there. Captain Jill Henderson, Therese Kennedy and Tanya Waters looking back on how Irish women's rugby all started. Of course, the Irish women's rugby team in action in their final TikTok women's Six Nations game this evening, 8pm. Uh, that is Ireland against Scotland at Kingspan Stadium up in Belfast uh, so we'll keep you on tabs on that uh, later on tonight and of course into tomorrow's show as well with Joe from 1 o'clock until 7 Johnny Ward has joined me in the uh, studio this afternoon good afternoon Johnny what's going on Shane? very little I was uh, saying to, to Andy our producer earlier that I was um, in Punchestown well I met Owen Sheehan in the, in the, at the entrance to Punchestown anywhere he doesn't go like, he's just, he's, he, he just loves all events he's a man he? of the people Owen man of the people everyone recognises Owen when they're out and about you know and it's a it's it's an ego boost, but it's a lot of pressure as well. Yeah, he does have he does have a lovely way about him. The last time I had a beer with him was at other voices where we ended right. up having a great night, yeah. And uh, you know, you could, you could meet him at a gig, you could meet him at a sporting event or at the races or whatever. He's that type of guy. He's uh, yeah, because I walked in with a few of my, uh, my my brother and a few of his friends, and uh, straight away Owen came up. He was shaking hands, kissing babies. You know, he's he's like a proper politician. He's uh, he'd win Fianna Fáil next. Well, he could be a, he could yeah. be a Kerry TD at some point in the future, joining the, the Healy Rays. Who knows? But um, how would yeah. you get on? It was great, and Owen reminded me. I actually said to Owen when I walked in, "This is my first ever time at Punchestown," and he said, "Geez, I, I was at Oxygen 2011, right here." And I, he reminded me that I was also. That's so, mad, crazy, yeah. isn't it? I was. Um, I was at a gig the other night with my uh, cousin uh, Low. We're playing Vicar Street, and um, my co- uh, sorry, my neighbour Ronan Hearn was there, and Adrian Taff of LMFM had come along as well, completely randomly. I went out for a vape and came back in, and they're like. We used to work together for uh, the radio about 25 years ago. He stayed in my house. <laughs> he only knew one Adrian Taff, and it was the same Adrian Taff. So <laughs> of like, course Ireland is just ridiculously small. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they're kind of friends for life again, anyway. It's um, it's quite a venue, Punchestown. Like I, I'd never been to uh, to the races there before, and it was definitely on my sporting bucket list. Now, obviously, there's some there's some bigger events that I want to get to as well. But mm. atmosphere was incredible, and to see. You know the the reception in particular. Rachel Blackmore maybe got in coming into the winners' enclosure after uh, Honeysuckle won, was was quite special. Um, to see you know moments like that up close and personal. Even I was speaking to you off air there, Johnny, and, and like Billaway that that race in the um, the Champion Hunters Chase under Patrick Mullins and Vosselet that final fence. Like we were right beside that fence and just the. The, That's the winning and losing of the race. That fence. This know. is the thing, but you, I know the the GEA kind of use that slogan. Nothing beats being there. But when you're when you're actually at a sporting event like that and you see it up close and personal, it does make it so much better. I don't think we I don't think we sell race enough in in regards to the the, the quality of a horse jumping a fence that you can see up close like that. And um, I'd a bet on Billaway in that race, and like I've been struggling to pick winners of Punchdown all week. <laughs> and even though that was a hunter's chase, which is like I don't know what you call it the like the 
Division Four of kind of jumps race. Do you know it's modest enough quality. Yeah. What a race! Like it was just such. A, it was they went hammer and tongs, and tactically Patrick Mullins completely threw it out the window. Billaway to make the run, and I didn't expect that. And then you know you're you're you have a few quid on. I think you had a few quid on Billaway, and you're yes. like you know you could do with the winner and jump on the last. It's so in the balance, and you get that jump, and he totally out jumps the other horse who rallies all the way to the line. Uh, and Rachel Blackmore, I mean, you're there for. I was lucky enough to see Frankel in York. I saw see the stars in Leopardstown, and these. These are literally horses. Not only they're not not only generational talents, but like Honeysuckle could be the greatest mare of all time, mm. of all time. Like really could be. You know, maybe she's not done one because you're not going to run the Gold Cup. But she's at the moment. There's every chance she will retire unbeaten. And um, you know what her and Rachel Blackmore have done for the sport is incredible. Sixteen wins out of sixteen. Like that 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 is important as well to, to maybe cement the legacy to re- retire unbeaten. It really kind of makes a difference. You don't like at times in that race yesterday. You're thinking mm. Honeysuckle. Yeah, might not win this, but. Yeah. but uh, course came through in the end but it, there, there's a little bit of pressure to to get to that retirement stage unbeaten maybe oh there is I mean like you've you've really good horses on the flat who run until their three year old campaign they might have four runs and then they're retired like Honeysuckle is now on the go she's eight years of age her first run her first of her 16 wins was back uh, if you want to count point to point in April uh, four years ago so that's four years of you know there's this theory as well that you can't rely on mares that they're more fickle um, which is kind of I don't know I think it's probably a bit of a nonsense but like it's, it'd be one of these wives' tales and race and all, don't back a mare, you know, she, she might have an off day and sometimes mares are in season. She never has an off day. Like she even, yesterday in fairness, she it wasn't her best performance probably but she's just doing enough. She's at that stage where she's probably like a, a boxer who kind of, He's just going to do what he needs to do, or she's going to hopefully do what she needs to do tonight in Katie Taylor's mm. uh, case. Just do enough and win and beat what's in front of you. And if she takes on Constitutional Hill next year, I think that'll put to bed any argument about what she's beating. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because his performance at Shelton was definitely generational as well. Uh, Paul Townend will be crowned champion jockey for a fifth time. Patrick Mullins, as we mentioned, who was on board, Bill away. Na- National Hunt champion amateur for the 14th time. Like, that was his 200th winner, I think, of the season in Ireland. Like, just such a... And, and the weather, I think, helps Johnny as well for those for those occasions. Like, I, I can't think of somewhere I would l- less prefer to be, you know, in than racing in a, in a really, really downpouring day. Yeah. Like, it's just... It, uh, a little bit of sun adds to the atmosphere as well, I think. Totally, yeah. Like so, the, the second day at Cheltenham that became a big problem, where um, you know it was just really, really horrible, and it was uh, it's, climate change is such that now I think you get like less regular rain, but when it happens, it can be really bad. And at Cheltenham, it was a complete downpour, and it was almost unheard of. Um, so we've been, I think we've been lucky with Punchdown with the weather. Uh, I think it brings on the idea of going to the Curran Leopard Sound in the Flats. Um, flat days ahead I think I really love the flat in the summer Shane I love the idea of Leopard Sound of an evening you get a band after racing the Curra is a beautiful racetrack it's by far the most modern racetrack in Ireland they've spent a lot of money on it really nice facilities and a lovely place to spend uh, summer's day and obviously like the likes of Nace as well if you're on the if in the east of the country for uh, the week for the weekday meetings and um, yeah the sun definitely helps get the barbecue out because racing does have a challenge to, to sell the idea of going racing when mm. you know the race itself can be like you know, 3% of the entire day can be taken up by the actual sport. So you've 97%, might be exaggerating here, but you've 90 to 95% of the day to fill with something that isn't the actual sport. So you have to kind of, I think with people having such, you know, worsening attention spans, it's a challenge for uh, race... uh, 
race courses to attract people, but like they still seem to be doing a very good job. And as you say, Punchestown was a great atmosphere there this week. Uh, yeah, it, you mentioned climate change there. Like I saw your your post on Instagram stories the other day about talking about the the failed rainy season in Somalia, and I think oh. as looking at uh, India, you know, the the heat that's in India at the moment as well almost makes you feel like you know when you're when you're talking about anything else life sport or whatever it kind of puts it in perspective because you're like does like this is a bigger this is a bigger well, issue this well, is like, huge there was a, there was a poll i think um and john gibbons does a lot of really good articles mainly in the business post and he he quoted now i, I could be wrong this but i think the figure was 6% per 6% of people said this is the most important thing in their lives i mean that is absolutely absurd we are in so much shit here like we are this is apocalypse now yeah. and you look at the rainy seasons they're missing in south in somalia um you, you talk to anyone who lives in like the Middle East, parts of the Middle East, you can't even live there anymore. Phoenix, Arizona has become an uninhabitable um, and all this is happening now. And if you live in Ireland, you can tell, even living in Dublin, the weather is getting so erratic. Like, yeah. And we are storing so much crap in the air to make this much, much worse. We're not making it any better. In fact, we're making it worse. And people who don't realise how bad this is, like, I, I genuinely think if you're having, if you're planning children at this stage of your life, you actually have to think about what you're bringing them into because they, nobody can say that um, for certain what how bad this is going to be mm. I think it's it's apocalyptic and I'm a hypocrite as well like I'm, I'm not doing enough like I'm, taking, are, I'm taking a flight tomorrow I'm not doing enough but like we, we need to do this now and like you know we I think the first solar farm in Ireland went um, live yesterday and uh, there's a lovely uh, story in RT about it like so basically uh you know, farmers, if their land is near enough to grid and if it's south facing, they can sell for solar and they can even keep the sheep on the land so the sheep can graze and they can help actually graze so that the solar panels aren't blocked by the, the grass and so on and so forth. But like, that farm yesterday took seven years to get off the ground. This is something that should be happening in months. It should be happening straight away. And you've these idiots objecting to a solar farm, which isn't even an eyesore. So stop objecting to this nonsense, like, and realise that we have to do something now. And Ireland could be a world leader on this instead of like moaning about not being able to cut turf and so on. Because like it's it's, it's our children we have to think of here. I don't have children, but if I did have a child, I would be like, what am I bringing him or her into here? Because I can't promise him anything. Mm. Put it all in perspective, doesn't it? Really, when you're when you're talking about sport and other things, it does. Like you're watching, you know, you're watching. The, 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 I was watching Man City um sorry Man United Chelsea the other night and I was kind of just thinking like I think I'd just been reading about that Somalia thing where they've missed four of the last five rainy seasons have just failed I think mm. just failed and uh, I was like this is I mean how could you even get worked up about things like this but you know there's yeah, I guess you have to get on with it yeah exactly it's uh, yeah not uh, it's not an easy thing to talk about or, th or to think about for a lot of people but it's the reality to be fair and uh, there is a good quote which I'll find for you I think it was um, which is uh, on, on this if I, give me a minute yeah, I'll find yeah, no it. it's, it's quite it's quite light it's, it's Woody Allen and he says more than any other time in history mankind faces a crossroads one path leads to despair and utter hopelessness the other to total extinction let us hope uh, and pray that we have the wisdom to choose correctly and that's kind of where we're at yeah makes you fearful will we have the wisdom to choose the right things you don't know um uh, on the race today, I should mention as well for people listening in as well who maybe are at Punchestown are looking, keeping an eye out on the results. The uh, the first race there, the uh, cross country chase today, uh, the winner Hurricane Darwin, uh, twenty two to one shot with Stealthy Tom at twenty to one in second, and uh, Shady Operator, another end of Bulger horse uh, after the Stealthy Tom is also end of Bulger, but uh, Shady Operator in third at two to one. Uh, so there's uh, another uh, decent card at uh, Punchestown there today. A quick word before we uh, mention the Guineas as well, Johnny on, on uh, Robbie Power, like a great servant to the sport. It was f you know on Tehupo yesterday 
yesterday it was great to see him uh, bow out obviously not with a win but uh, on the big stage and a uh, remarkable career remarkable career and a really sound fella and I think I don't know what he's going to do in his future but I think if he took took on Meteor which a lot of jockeys do and some of them have taken some of the Irish jockeys have taken extremely well to it I think Robbie would be well capable he's a very forthright talker uh, we had him on here this season before I don't know was the Dublin Race Festival or Leopardstown at Christmas and he's um, there's no crap out of him he just tells it as it is um, and he'll have a bit of crack um, he's, he, you know he was part of a real golden generation of jockeys suffered horrific injuries he looked, he actually looked like the Terminator when he won the Gold Cup on um, Size and John because he had a serious injury and he had to get these glasses that um, these like goggles that like effectively um he'd broken his eye socket or something but he had these goggles special goggles to make him see in races and you can imagine jumping fences at 35 40 miles an hour on a horse that's uh, you know the the, the the energy below you and uh, having to wear these glasses won the gold cup um, suffered badly with injuries and I think really wisely like didn't he went out at a good time because Shane it's like you know there, there would have been races to honor jockeys uh, this week who passed away in the in the in the in the in a race like um and it's very very dangerous and to get out in one piece if you want to say he's in one piece he's, he's yeah. been broken up many times to get out in one piece is great and i wish robbie the best i think uh, he's from a really really famous horse um, horsey family obviously con power in the show jumping and all that and he may go training but if he does go into the media route or whatever I think he'll, he'll fly it he's a great fella we've gone way over time Johnny but uh, very briefly new market big weekend 1000 guineas 2000 guineas if you had to pick your winner in a word in each uh, yeah I think today um, I'm really interested to see how Luxembourg gets on um, in terms of his derby credentials uh, and I'm sorry to go over um, because I think he'll probably want a bit further he'll probably want a mile and a half um, I think the favourite should win though he's He's a very good horse, native trail. Um, it's going to be a cracking race. Um, but back Luxembourg for the Derby, I would say. Excellent. Well, uh, back Luxembourg for the Derby. You have it there. Johnny Ward, thanks a million. You're, you're going to stay with us. We have Off the Ball Football Saturday coming up uh, after the break from 3 to 5. Graham Gartland and Simon Cox, the former Irish international striker, will join us as well. Loads to get into. Liverpool have beaten Newcastle by a goal to Nell at St James's Park. We're back after this with Off the Ball Football Saturday. Right, welcome back to Off the Ball Saturday here on News Talk. Shane Hallen with you through until 5 pm this evening. Off the Ball Football Saturday brought to you by Sky. Don't miss Everton versus Chelsea on Super Sunday, live only on Sky Sports. We have Graham Gartland in studio, Johnny Ward in studio. We have Simon Cox, the former Irish international striker, on the line as well with us for Off the Ball Football Saturday. We're just watching Aston Villa uh, 1, Norwich City 0, 45 minutes played just before half time here. Uh, Villa just taking the lead, just checking here through Ollie Watkins there on 41 minutes. So uh, Stephen Gerrard, Villa taking the lead. Southampton currently 1-0 up against Crystal Palace at St Mary's Watford are a goal to the good against Burnley and uh, Brighton have taken the lead away to Wolves Alexis McAllister with a penalty there on 42 minutes for Brighton of course the uh, the evening game at half past five at Ellen Road is Leeds United against Manchester City and the early game of course another one uh, important in the title battle is at uh, St James's Park Newcastle nil, Liverpool 1 was the final score in that one Naby Keita with the only goal on 19 minutes um, decent game of football Simon I know you, you watched that one as well it's in James's Park but uh, can you see either of these two teams blinking in the, in the, in the title race or who, who's going to blink first if any team is going to go I can see him I can see him winning all their remaining games to be fair um, listen big Liverpool fans so I hope that City <laughs> don't win today and or you know they can they can nick a point somewhere and, and then Liverpool can go on and, and win the title but it wasn't it wasn't vintage Liverpool today. Newcastle made it hard for them, but on the back of the uh, the Champions League game, you can understand there was a few changes. So, but listen, one of those changes produced the goods for for uh, Liverpool today. So ultimately, it was a 
uh, a decent performance, but um, not not one that you associate Liverpool with being uh, the the high pressing team that they were uh, on on uh, Tuesday night so, or Wednesday night. Sorry, and it was. Um, uh, listen, it was a, it was a game that they needed to win, and they won. That was it. The, in fairness, in fairness, like the, the schedule that they've had, um, and like they were so far superior to Villarreal, I was a bit surprised today. He went with a midfield of Henderson, Milner, Keita, and you're like, that's a functional midfield. And Keita ends up getting a lovely goal, and like they just their first half front I thought was brilliant. Um, I missed some of the second half coming in, but like they managed the game well, and they're phenomenal. They're absolutely phenomenal. I I it's, I, I thought this was a potential banana skin, um, and, and I think you know. You'd, you'd expect Man City to beat Leeds more than like Newcastle have become really, really hard to beat in St James's Park, and it's phenomenal for Liverpool. It's unbelievable. They've won four games in a row. Newcastle yeah. all of a sudden. Yeah, you know? the best win record, second best win record since January, mm. other than Liverpool. Since he took over, they're seventh in the table. If you yeah. want to put it, look at it that way, and um, yeah, just to be able to make those changes and still, I don't know. Like I mean, the energy Robertson has for me is just I don't know where he's getting it from. It's just incredible. Like to keep producing it, and um, if Liverpool win nothing more this season, it'll be one of the best seasons they've ever had and that sounds daft but like what they're doing week in week out game in game out different competitions wars and forefronts and different players staying happy staying like loyal to the cause it's amazing do you find Johnny as a Liverpool fan like I know football fandom comes in waves and you know Manchester fans had their had their number of years in the sun now they're kind of in the wilderness since 2013 when Ferguson retired like you must be enjoying this as a Liverpool fan I think every Liverpool fan is enjoying like, the fact that they're competing on four fronts like where would this Liverpool team rank if they, if they were to win the quadruple surely they're the greatest football team of all time in, the, in England well yeah, and actually Graham was talking about oh, without a doubt. I think, in fairness, Matt, these are the best two Premier League teams there have ever been. I think spoiled really. Aren't like, it, it is like you can't really compare because football evolves so much and so fast like that you know you can't compare the Cantona era to this this era or whatever like when I was a kid but it was interesting uh, Graham saying before he came in that um, about Bill Shankly uh, because you're talking about like Klopp and Shankly like how do they rank and the, the, that aura that Shankly had like Klopp is definitely well up there that, that's the thing Graham like you, you mentioned Bill Shankly before we, we came in today and like I was looking, reading Tony Evans in the, the Irish Independent today and he was talking about 14 months ago 1-0 defeat by Fulham and Anfield Liverpool's sixth loss in seven games uh, there was talk of Klopp not extending his contract uh, how things have, have even turned around from that point even 14 months ago yeah. and he's extended the contract now to 2026 like is he revered now along the same lines as, as Bill Shankly almost in Liverpool that's a big statement yeah I know, it's a massive statement yeah but I think the, the similarities are there for all to see in terms of when Shankly first came in he rebuilt Melwood Melwood wasn't great he walked the park he cleaned it all up he, he said we're going to make this our training base he implemented loads of new stuff he, I didn't realise this at the time but Shankly actually kept the same backroom staff that he inherited he inherited Paisley he inherited Fagan he inherited Ronnie Moran and he, he brought them in and said like this is what we're doing but the, the comments they made was that we needed somebody like him to lead us and give us that he'd stand out front and he'd, he'd, he'd galvanise everybody he was magnetic he was a socialist type of view on things that he was going to pull a city the, the, the city that's itself that's relevant though because that's Klopp, Klopp has Klopp's that as well that exactly. it's a different era and they're all multi-millionaires but Klopp hasn't played exactly. with humility like. and the, like you said the, 100% and, and what happened was Liverpool were struggling as a city after that because it was probably the most bombed city in, in World War 2 because of the, that's where all the ships were, were 
we're, we're going out from so he gave he gave Liverpoolians and that city a sense of like pride in, in what they were doing and Klopp's brought that back a little bit mm. uh, with Liverpool and that's where the similarities are there in that they both rebuilt it Klopp's moved into a new training ground as well in the last year for them to get four place last year with what they lost and everything that they went through and the lockdown and the Anfield factor was a tremendous achievement but they're bearing the fruits of that this year because mm. now their players are back I, I thought the recruitment this year has probably been the best it's been in that they've signed players while they were doing well they brought Diaz has been a tremendous sign and I know there's bits Canate of the game today where like, they look yeah, yeah, sorry Canate came in like, like the power he brings to the team when, when, when you relied on Van Dijk's pace and power at the back he has that and that side as well and even I was watching the, the assistant manager had a thing up where he'd done the coaching um coaching voice as well voice, yeah. yeah it was brilliant, brilliant wasn't it Simon yeah, and he brilliant. spoke about the Barcelona game and the yeah. detail he went into it about like when when Matip went in on Coutinho as Fabinho became the centre back or if yeah. like all them little things where you know you can't show heart on a tactic board and this club has heart and this team has heart and, and, and Klopp brought that back now again Guardiola had all this stuff lined up for him when he took over a City like Ferguson built United back up again that's why they're so revered and that's why I think Klopp will be revered nearly as much as as Shankly will eventually but Shankly had that or that Scottish voice that gravelly thing where he brought a whole city together to believe in, in one cause and that's why I think Shankly's laid the foundations and these lads are just adding to it it's funny like because even I remember when Alex Ferguson uh, retired or quit United in the in the 2000s and then obviously his wife Cathy managed to convince him yeah. to <laughs> turn the turn around uh, change his mind essentially like Klopp saying the same this week that his wife was instrumental in this decision to sign a new contract uh, Simon as well for until 2026 like do you look at I know you're as someone who is very much dipping your toes in, in the world of coaching at the minute. Do you look at people like Klopp and Guardiola and, and I mean, we're spoiled for, for choice in terms of top managers at the minute, but are there things you can pick up? You're obviously not on the training ground with them, but there's certainly things you can pick up from guys like this and take into your own coaching career. Yeah, absolutely. I think the thing is you, you have to have your own style, but the thing is with those guys, the one thing that I take from is from them is their enthusiasm it's it's massive you see them on the on the sideline and they kick and head every ball they tackle every every tackle they literally they, they're like that that 12 person um and what i think the best part of their their management apart from their enthusiasm on the sideline is their ability to be able to keep a squad of players happy it's one of the biggest things that ferguson had um you, you look at going back to Ferguson with the likes of Jason Park and, and even John O'Shea wouldn't play every game, but they would play in the big games and, and to try and keep those players happy. Um, it, it's a, it's a really big, like you have to have a personal side to things. Um, and the, the five changes or so that Klopp made today, um, even go back to the, the coach's voice one that, that Graham was talking about the, the front three in that game, I think was, Divock Origi was Shakiri was Mane I think it was um, you know it's, to be able to be from what is in a sense not in the team and possibly in the wilderness a little bit to then come and play in the big games it shows that the manager has complete faith in the, those players to be able to do it and um, and they have you know they have obviously a belief in the in the project as well so it's a big big thing that you have to have a 
a, a personal relationship with players these days yeah lo- loads to pick up on there lads we have to k- take a, a quick ad break but um, you've got Graham Gartland Simon Cox and Johnny Waters myself Shane Hannon and Off The Ball Football Saturday we're live until 5 o'clock loads still to get into it's uh, gone half time as well in the Premier League games so we'll round you up on all of those half time uh, scores around the grounds when we come back after these stay with us Right, welcome back to Off The Ball Saturday here on Newstalk Shane Hannon with you through for the next hour until 5 o'clock or so we've got uh, Johnny Ward Graham Gartland and Simon Cox with us on Off The Ball Football Saturday The Brought best to you chats by... happen during the break Shane The best, <laughs> the best chats happen chats. during the break everything, everything happens after record. As always As always Football Saturday brought to you by Sky Don't miss Leeds v Man City on Saturday Night Football Live only on Sky Sports We'll get to that chat we were talking about during the ad break in just a second I want to bring you quickly through the, the halftime Premier League scores uh, First up we have the halftime from Watford against uh, Watford playing Watford Burn uh, with a half-time score. Let's uh, listen in to that one from uh, Vicarage Road. Watford won Burnley nil. The home side lead through an own goal seven minutes into the game. Burnley failed to clear a corner. Matai Kuchka smacked a shot into the underside of the crossbar and it rebounded in off the Burnley captain, James Tarkovsky. On 28, Burnley were awarded a penalty when Dwight McNeil was bundled over, but VAR ruled the challenge was just outside the area and the free kick came to nothing. Watford lead in this vital relegation game 1-0. Nigel Bidmead there at Watford versus Burnley with a half-time from Villa Park. It's Aston Villa against Norwich City and Tom Ross. Aston Villa 1, Norwich 0. Aston Villa in front thanks to Ollie Watkins' fabulous strike just before half-time. And it was a long ball from Danny Ings who he latched onto. He battled with Sam Byram, the defender, before smashing it into the net. Ings, had, that was his first touch since coming on for the injured Leon Bailey. But apart from that, Norwich have had decent chances. Brandon Williams headed over after Hanley headed back across the goal from a corner. And then we saw a wonderful, wonderful save from uh, Martinez, the Villa goalkeeper. A wonderful shot from Milo Rashika was matched by the wonderfulness of the keeper who dived to his right, it really was special to tip the ball round the post still a long way to go in this game Aston Villa 1, Norwich 0 Watching Southampton against Crystal Palace in the first half there at St Mary's is Alan Lewis Southampton 1, Crystal Palace 0, the home side in front but Palace ending the half the brighter Oriol Romeo heading home a corner from James Ward-Prowse to give Southampton an early lead, Conor Gallagher missed a great chance to equalise just minutes later, Palace got better as the half went on, Jean-Philippe Mateta with a couple of good opportunities Jordan Ayew also going close, they've had a lot of possession around the Southampton box, they just haven't been able to turn it into goal scoring chances, Southampton 1, Crystal Palace nil. And the last of the Premier League scores at uh, halftime watching at Molyneux Wolves against Brighton, Joshua Smith. Wolves nil, Brighton won. It took two spot kicks for the visitors to take the lead, but they deserve it as well. Jose Sarr will be feeling aggrieved in the Wolves net. He's made some phenomenal stops today, and he uh, thought he'd saved the first penalty. It's actually hit the woodwork. McAllister from 12 yards after Sice was judged by the AR to have handled the ball in the box. He's hit the left hand upright. Jose Sarr looked to have covered it. He stepped up a few minutes later to try again. He's gone the same side, slightly higher. Sarr got a hand to it, but it's in the back of the net. Wolves, they've had very 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 little in way of attacking the closest they came right before the end of the first half Silva was put in one one on one a great ball over the top he took too long trying to take the ball down and ultimately went behind for a golf kick earlier on a great volley by Matinho from the edge of the box Huang He Chan on the left hand side dropped the ball back to the edge he had the shot low blocked for a corner the corner came in Neves then had a low volley also blocked other than that they've created nothing and the goalkeeper Sanchez for Brighton hasn't made a save Wolves nil Brighton won we, we had Nigel Bidmead at the Watford game there. Every time I hear his voice, I'm reminded of when he commentated on Pat Sullivan's goal for Shamrock Rovers in Belgrade. 
and that goal that where Shamrock Rovers were the first team and I think Air Sport were showing it but possibly even Satanta they were at the time and um, he was so he was called in to do the commentaries and every time you get an English commentator commentating on a League of Ireland team in Europe and I love this they're totally partisan they totally want the Irish team to win and Nigel Bidmead do you remember Pat Sullivan's goal that night it was like, yeah, like a right back to score the technique of that and it got it, it created history because Rovers made Europe I do remember well yeah he came out from a free kick was something as a corner yeah. and then he just hits it and it goes opposite corner it says low it was a low volley he actually went in the side net and yeah it's a great achievement but Shane Hannan apparently could score that with left or with the left <laughs> or the right we were talking here Simon during the ad break about uh, now that's I mean Sunday league level I can kick with both feet but like how, how important is that Simon that skill you, I, I, I'm amazed sometimes watching Premier League footballers and who you know can't clear the first defender from a corner for example so that's one skill you know you're going to get a certain number of corners per match clear the first defender but like when you were younger you know right foot left foot how important was that drilling in to, to, to you know to young players that they need to be able to play with both feet yeah it was massive um, we, we used to get set tasks in the academy at Reading um, if you can do it with your right foot you have to be able to do it with your left foot um, whether that was keep uppies whether that was step overs whether that was Cruyff turns whatever it was it was you have to be able to do it with both feet and, and that was a it was a big thing for them uh, for the coaches and more so for the players if you wanted to try and progress through the academy you had to be able to at least have a good understanding with both feet it's, it's so important Graham isn't it like to be honest, I only had a conversation with Shane Robinson about this last week. He was talking about John O'Shea. He said John O'Shea was... He, he, he played with John O'Shea at Waterford all the way through. He said he's the most right-footed player he's ever played with. Like, he said, it was ridiculous. He said, and then... But then he scored that goal against Arsenal. Yeah, but then, exactly. And then he says, he says he, got, he gets a text saying like he's going to make his debut or whatever. And I'm playing. And he's like, where are you starting? And he's like, left back. And he's like, are you, are you winding me up here? But he said at 16... The, when he went to United they started going right you need to start using your 16. left foot yeah now this is the thing so me and Shane then had a conversation about development at what age do you start developing and I think it comes down to a balance issue I'm left footed but I do everything off my right foot I jump off my right foot I turn up I, I start I initiate my sprint off my right foot Simon's probably uh, right footed so he jumps off his left and then I was saying well if you start putting power into your opposite standing leg so, which, but, but that helps you be more balanced for when you're striking off your, your weaker foot. So then you start going, right, well, how do we implement the program that can give lads more balance off their weaker side so that they're able to jump off their weaker side more, etc., etc., land better? And then what happens is they're more comfortable then when they're more balanced striking the ball off either foot. So it led to that conversation. But yeah, John O'Shea, 16 when he started using his left foot and then goes on to play that nearly 100 games for that Man United left back. Like, I, you mentioned Reading there, Simon. Like I think of Ian Hart, for example, as someone who spent a bit of time at Reading, and you think of his left foot, left boot as just a cultured left foot, free kicks, penalties, whatever it might be. I don't know how good or otherwise Ian Hart was with his, I with can't his right foot. I can't remember him ever. Oh, you, oh, you had a great right foot. Did he? Had he? Simon. No, I didn't. No. I swear I he scored a goal. We played a game against <laughs> Ian Hart, and he checked inside, and he, he rifled one top corner, and I was like... <laughs> Who's that? And I was like, Ian Hart, how did... Like, you know when you go, no way. Nigel Winterburn was the one for me because I, he would have preferred to shoot the ball than kick it with his right foot. Like, he literally never... I never yes, remember... These tend to be a little bit more dominant because yeah. they're left footed left handed a lot of them so they tend to be a lot more dominant be left handed a lot of left a lot of left footers are generally left handed <laughs> what's that got to do with Anton <laughs> you're pure dominance off that side <laughs> I don't know it's not, I don't know Simon can you speak up for us right handed people there 
<laughs> well, I don't know why you're looking at me. <laughs> Listen, it's just a, it's a theory I have. Were you often were you surprised ever, Simon? Like you don't have to name names, but like we we ever surprised in training or or at matches playing with with with, with fellas at professional level where you were like, this lad cannot kick with his other foot. Like, <laughs> were there ever times where you just questioned somebody's, you know, how yeah. they got to that level without being able to play with both feet? Yeah, you've seen it. I've seen it so many times at, at you know, various levels. Um, but then you get to a stage where you realise that if they've got one that's seriously <laughs> <Of course>. good, <laughs> um, they can sort of get away with it. Um Whereas the lads and that that aren't anywhere near as probably as talented on one foot have got to try and go both ways. When you look at, if you sort of look, go go the other way and go people that are really good with both feet, you think of like Aidan McGeady. Aidan McGeady was ridiculous with both feet. Could go left and go right. Um, but then playing, you know, Stephen Ward, for example, would be predominantly left footed. So he had the opportunity to go on the outside, whereas Aiden would always probably come inside on his right foot. So it was, uh, you'd always have the ones who, are, if you've got that, that really dominant left foot or dominant right foot, they try and they're, they're probably that little bit lazy where they don't think that they need to catch their other foot up. Um, Probably Mo Salah is a very prime example. Mm. He just doesn't like kicking with his right foot. He's always cutting in on his left. So if he's got he's got that wand of his left, why does he really need to? Beckham, um, Beckham never really his used right. his left foot, didn't he? No, no not really. Yeah. But you think of like even even people like John Terry. John Terry could do both with both yeah, feet, right, left yeah. and right foot, um, step out, and you'd probably be hard pushed to say which was his who was your best who was the best two foot player you played with that you could think of off hand are you seeing that you think right Pro- probably probably Aiden was 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 up there mm. because he had you know ridiculous ability going both ways um, he, he had that that little stop check, check yeah. and dink to the back post with his left and then he could come in step over right foot curl so he had he had both to be fair um, so he was probably the best one that I can think of at the top of my head. It's amazing, Shane, the amount they are. Anyone who did anything with Aidan McGeady will just always mm, extol his qualities. Yeah, yeah. And because he he must have been the most marmite of footballers for Ireland. I quite liked him, I think. Do you know, it was like I trying rip, to be... He'd rip you, Johnny. Like he, used to, he, ripped, he ripped us up in Scotland yeah. a few times. And then, like, yeah, he, I remember watching him in a youth team game back in, I think it was at Dundee United in 2003, and he was only 16, and he was he was just off the chart ridiculous. Mm. Like, it was like, it was this kid, like, unbelievable. And then by the time I went back to Scotland in, in 09, he was unbelievable, like, mm. for Celtic. Like, you know, he just... Yeah, I never understood. Scary. I remember going to Celtic a couple of Celtic games with on a school trip when I was younger, and have, having that McGeady forty six jersey uh, like on the back. He was. I never understood the negativity around McGeady from an Irish perspective. I always felt like, no matter what, when he comes on the pitch or when he when he's on the ball, you feel like something could happen, something might be about to happen. Of course, he had his bad performances in an Irish jersey as well. The creative players in the Irish system and context yeah. and the whole philosophy of the way Ireland have played for so long was. I mean, it's kind of like. You know, trying to trying to you know be democratic in North Korea or something. It's just it was must have been hard because like it wasn't part of our makeup, and he he must have been frustrated by it. You can be an amazing player, Graham, but you need somebody to be on the same wavelength as you as well. Yeah, and I, I remember listening to somebody speaking about Trapatoni and how how much I think it was Joey O'Brien was talking about how hard he had the wingers working to protect the fullbacks so the fullbacks didn't have to move, and then you're thinking McGeady's probably doing 
an extra shift here that he normally wouldn't have to do mm. but the time he gets the ball he's, he's probably too far away from their goal to be really impactful he's probably wrecked after helping back and I understand you have to do your work for the team I get that Like, but if you're doing that much work you're, it's taking a little your edge away going mm. forward I don't know like Simon was involved around that time I remember I think Joey O'Brien was telling me just that he just the fullbacks didn't move at one stage and the wingers were the ones that had to go from close their full back down get out to their winger so that the this, the back four stayed intact a lot like mm-hmm. it worked every now and then but it took a lot out of the wingers yeah I, I remember playing the Germany game at um, at home and, and I played right wing that day um, <laughs> I mean it wasn't a great idea that anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but Seamus Coleman was playing behind me and he turned around to me and he said, listen, I don't mind defending 1v1 so you can push up a little bit if you want to. And I was just like, I've been told to sort of yeah. sit in front of you, don't go anywhere. Because obviously from his nature of being Italian, it was a case of two blocks of four plus more so like a one and a one. And um, But obviously you know what Seamus Coleman's like, 1v1 defending, he's, he's pretty decent at it. So it, he was like, off you go if you want. And I thought, yeah, if I get caught up there and then all of a sudden it's a it's a slog running back the way, it's a, it's a little bit too far for me did to it, run. Did so it take away from your attack and play? Did you feel then, when you, by the time you did, you just did get the ball or possession that you were tired, that you weren't able to be maybe impactful going forward? Like Didn't have to ball that often. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Germans um, at the end of the day. Like, yeah. I find that so fascinating though, Simon. Like, So your, your natural instincts and this clash with the manager and you don't want to piss off the manager either, regardless of who the manager is, Like, that must be difficult. Yeah, but, you know, ultimately he has a game plan and that's the, the, the difference between you, you want to play your, your regular game and listen, I was never a, a right winger. Um, you... you look at possibly like Johnny Waters as another one who was a, mm. a centre forward but ended up playing right wing but he probably did it a lot better than I did um, but you end up with you try and stick to the game plan as best you can but also you've got to try and um, play your natural game but but because I wasn't a natural winger and I was one who was probably seen to work a little bit harder I was able to be sort of stuck out there and but then when you've got a, a fullback behind you who's basically saying, off you pop, get, get away from off my toes, you kind of think, well, what do I do? Do I do I listen to him? Do I, do I play the game as it as I see it? Or do I just sort of stick with the game plan as it is? But listen, we, we weren't even anywhere near the level we should have been on the days. But um, if whether it would have been me an extra five, ten yards higher, would that make a difference? I don't know. But you're sort of chasing ridiculous wingers and, and fullbacks around the pitch it's, uh, it's not exactly the ideal situation I, to th- be in. I think Shane though like good managers nowadays they have to um, delegate to the players in terms of the intellect mm. of the players as well and I think that's why maybe some managers maybe Mourinho to an extent um, isn't the manager he was because like you're from rural Ireland if you ever see cattle in a field right and you put up an electric fence right <laughs> well, I'm from Monaghan town yeah I'm a oh, you're from the town well. yeah but you've a lot of okay <laughs> if you if you have an electric a, 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 fence a, 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 if you have an electric fence right, to cattle and, and, and cattle, <laughs> cattle will basically see a full field of grass right in their sights and they'll run up to, to be absolutely looing for that grass and then they come to the electric fence and they just stop because they know I don't want to I don't want to touch this that's what Glenn Whelan was like for Ireland at the halfway line and I was there one night and we were we were on this break so we had like a, it was against, I think it was against Georgia and we had a 
brake on. And the, the 100% rational thing for Glenn Wheeler to do was to keep keep going in the attack because Georgia <laughs> was stretched. He got to the halfway line and he just stopped. And I was just like, like there's coaching and then there's like, that does but not Danny, make like, sense. Like, like football, like it's completely different. Like So Simon uh, will probably verify this. If a manager gives you team instructions to go out and do them, you follow them to the T because you follow them nearly 95% of the T because you want to build that trust between the player and the manager and obviously he has a game plan what if the manager is wrong though if the manager's wrong you still have to do it mm. because you have to go show that you're able to A follow his instructions and B that you trust the manager's call like how many managers in your so like in all your career you're like this manager's doing the right thing here or do you just have to even though you know he's wrong you oh, just have like, to do it there's certain ones like there's certain coaches that when they're trying to put in a game plan or something they're giving you something on the training pitch before going into the game and, and, and again levels here that you're going I'm not sure about that like, I don't, like I'm, I'm not comfortable with that mm. like I had conversations with Derek McGuinness at St. Johnson you, you know I think one of my first games he says I'm going to play a left back I said listen I haven't played left back in five years here like you know I'm not sure it's my first game is that what you want to do he said are you comfortable with it I said listen I am comfortable with it but you need to be when you're going from a, le- a left side of centre back to a left back you need to then change how you defend and, and you know work on certain things I'd built myself up to be a, a centre back so I need to get be more dynamic move I, I wasn't in that so I had that conversation with him he said no problem he went to treat the back I played but no problem having them conversations, but it, it, once you agree on it, you go out and you follow it to the to what you do because then the manager knows well he trusts or, or he can trust you and he's going to play you more often and ultimately we want to play as footballers like you know so it'd be like you coming in here and and off the ball saying whatever you do don't mention cattle in the field and then what happens is you bring her up they did, they did you say bring that her up the producers, yeah. you, the producers are going to say Johnny. We told you. you. We told told you. you, Then what happens is they go, we can't trust you on the radio not to go where we we don't think you should go. If Simon Cox wants to be a coach, though, right, you you can't be a dictatorial... Like no, figure, can you not? So you can't. You, the players have to be able to. Like, there's no Man- point being a footballer. Is a dictatorship, if, Johnny. It, it's not though. It, it's like, <laughs> is, is it dictatorship? Like, uh, it's it's it's. You have to. There's there's trust and there's like, uh, you know, you, you are the. Again, the high- we'll, go, we'll go back to this because Simon watched it as well. The coach's voice, and he, and and the assistant manager Rovers Linders is it that he's not, I pronounced yeah. his name wrong before. I don't want to pronounce it. Yeah, Pep Linders. Pep Linders. Yeah. yeah, and he spoke about in that system you have freedom. But the freedom is to employ what we're trying to do. Mm. So it's either you're pressing or he's pressing. But if he presses, you fill in for him, etc., etc. But ultimately, if none of them press, you're all in trouble. Mm. So they can't turn around and go, no, no, I'm not pressing now. Mm. But again, the freedom is that whichever one of you do, you react off that. That's freedom. Like if one player goes long, I need a runner, whether that's a midfield runner or somebody else, somebody needs to lengthen the game. If none of them decide to do it because they don't agree in it, that's, you, you can't have that. Like, mm. You know what I mean? You can't have complete anarchy or mutiny Correct, you know, on a football like, pitch. Johnny, Johnny just wants it. Like, <laughs> no, no. I, okay, Simon, is Simon right? Is this not? You need the fusion of the manager's uh, diktat and what he or she is saying and the players making in-game decisions as well that are actually the right thing to do at that time because they have enough intelligence not to be thinking what should I be doing here because the manager told me to do this no but there's a, there's a difference between seeing the game and playing the game as you see it on the on the pitch but ultimately the instruction is to be what the manager has told you to do so if the manager has said like take set pieces for example set pieces are a big 
like big thing in football these days. So if you work all week on set pieces and then in the game you decide, ah, oh, do you know what? I'll do whatever I like. You, you're probably not going to play the next week because you've then taken your own um, deciding factor over the team to say that I'm the next best thing and I want to take the next set pieces and I want to do what I want to do. In the game, yes, it's not as black and white as as everybody yeah. sees the game. So you have to make in-game decisions. But it all comes from a structure of what the manager has put in place throughout the week. Um, that that game in uh, that Graham was talking about, um, the Liverpool-Barcelona game, the detail in that was set up all week um, about whether it was... Um, Joel Matip stepping out and Fabinho stepping in to be a third centre-half, which would allow Trent Alexander-Arnold to go and press the, the full-back, or whether it was Henderson, if he goes into the centre-half and it goes back to, to Stegen, the goalkeeper, he goes. But when he goes, everybody knows to narrow off. And it's not just uh, Henderson is see, seeing the ball go back to the goalkeeper and he's just gone, ah, go on, I'm, I'm, I'm off on a, on a mad run. Um, that's not what it's it's not what he's seen it's what he's been told he can do by the coach mm. and everybody else is to filter around and, and be Free, the freedom were in the structure of it wasn't it it was freedom yeah. were in that freedom structure, in structure yeah. so it was like you said the Gavin Whelan one Gavin Whelan can go if he if he knows that Glenn Whelan yeah. Glenn Whelan sorry can go Gavin Glenn Whelan can go if he knows that the other midfielder can see him going and say well I'll sit now mm. so it's like well one of our midfielders can advance if the other midfielder stays it's freedom or in the structure like but if you you can't have people going off and going I don't agree with these tactics today so therefore I'm going to do this myself because but what it, happens is he won't play and the, the team will go you're not really in it for us see it's freedom within a structure but like Simon the game you mentioned the Germany game where you have Seamus Coleman an experienced head behind you telling you go on go forward you know I'll, I'll cover you I'm comfortable in a one on one like does that cause a little bit of panic in your head where you're thinking right the manager's telling me to do one thing here I've got Seamus Coleman behind me telling me not go on, go on off like are you caught between a, a rock and a hard place there almost yeah but I didn't really want to do the 70 yard run forward and then the, the 70 yard run back either so I felt like if I did if I sat in front of Seamus I was I was pretty comfortable sat there because I knew that I had cover behind me anyway so it was fine but the one thing I didn't want to be doing is going off on a mad run and, and press and nobody be behind me and then you turn around and everybody's doing what the manager's been told uh, what has told them to do and then all of a sudden you look back and go what did I just go on my own mm. and and then it's uh, and then you look like the the one who's not paying attention. So that's the the difference. Um, but listen, had had it been a natural um, winger out there, then possibly you might, you you know it might have been a completely different story. But I just remember that game where I had someone behind me saying, "Off you go, go and get off my toes," and I was just like, "Nah, not for me. I'm <laughs> I'm staying where I am. Thanks very much." Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Uh, we could text it in here to uh, 53106 and keep them coming, by the way. Lads, saw Gareth Bale play a good few times and he was ridiculously one-footed, but with pace and ability, he got away with it. Enjoying the show, as always. That's Eamon in Two Mile House. Like, that's the thing. If if you have talent in other areas of the pitch, it doesn't really matter, does yeah, it? What, what do you work on? Your strengths, your weaknesses, and if you if you can enhance your strengths to the point of, like, Gareth Bale's left foot or David Beckham's right foot, go for it. Like, you know, Dennis Irwin could play... 
left back or right back and was equally good. Like, but Jack Byrne very rarely used his left foot, and he got that goal against Dundalk, that curler. Um, yeah, so he's well able. Strike, he just yeah. he's just so happy in his right foot. He just mm. it's it, it, it doesn't the, need to use the, it. The two mm. foot thing is is brilliant because it gives you that ability to chop, mm. so that when you chop, you become a threat. Yeah. So if if I know. If I know someone does really want to hit the ball and he, and, and eat a foot, I, I sh- you're showing them onto that. And if they chop to go, well, I'm chopping to go on to my bad foot, I go, well, go. I'd rather you do that than actually pull the trigger here. So go on then. Yeah. Like, I'll give you the chop because I know you're not, you don't really want to hit it. So, it, again, the two footedness gives you that ability to keep the defender honest that he's not going to overcommit to one, one foot or the other because he knows you can hurt them off both. I'm just fascinated the whole the whole two footed thing. Like, even watching, I, bring, I always bring things back to snooker, but when you see Ronnie O'Sullivan ah, yeah. switching from the left hand to the right hand, like it's like it's nothing. Jack Lasowski is a player that does it kind of to a lesser extent, but it's just. Lubo Moracic was unbelievable. He used to, like you said, he'd go and take a corner. With, yeah. Yeah, he'd, talk, he'd take a corner with his right foot and then go over and take a, an in-swing with his left foot and I was like ah oh, here like you know Zola had a little bit of that about him sometimes where they'd look at free kicks to decide what foot they're going to hit it with and you'd be mm. thinking ah oh, stop like, you know. <laughs> Ronnie was accused of being disrespectful wasn't he to like the start when he used to do yeah, it yeah, yeah, yeah. he, he hated he, using the rest didn't he yeah and he's, I think he was playing like just some veteran from Canada or something Alain Robbie do yeah yeah and he said well I'm better on my left than he is on his right like, <laughs> there you go by the way what a name that is I remember you, you, pro- yeah. you probably interviewed him like <laughs> <laughs> can't believe you him and John Virgo well I've interviewed Ronnie a couple of times one of the occasions he had his, uh, his right arm right around me and he was a about t- three inches from my face a nice power play by Ronnie but uh, he's, uh, he's did he call you Shane he called me Shane to my face and he mentioned <laughs> off the ball a couple of times there's not like tricks of the trade lad. perfect like Barry Heron knows all about it but uh, he's just one of those incredible things I love I love watching by the way if the snooker fans uh, anyone probably has the snooker and uh, on the TV and maybe ourselves in the background as well but uh, Judd Trump and Mark Williams are now 14 frames apiece in the first to 17 frames there Williams has come from I mean he was 7-1 behind after the first session Ronnie of course back on the, on the base at 7pm this evening taking a 15-9 lead just two, two more frames needed to get to another world final if he wins this year of course that would be a seventh world final in total for Ronnie uh, we've, we've elaborated to take lads loads more topics still to get into here on Off The Ball Football Saturday we're with you right through until 5 o'clock myself Johnny Ward Graham Gartland and Simon Cox I have promised a Derry City fan that uh, they we're not the Dublin media we will give them of course the we news. will touch on them straight after the outbreak just to give you the, the, the latest scores from across the Premier League as well uh, 68 minutes played at the, uh, the Villa Park here in the game on, on, on television in front of us Aston Villa 1 Norwich City 0 that goal from Ollie Watkins uh, on 41 minutes just before the break it's uh, Southampton 1 Crystal Palace 1 Eberiki Eze with the equaliser for Palace in the second half where Burnley still trailing Watford by a goal to nil at Vicarage Road they would desperately love to pick up a draw at least if they can to get keep the points ticking uh, for them in their battle to avoid the drop and it's Wolves 0 Brighton and Hove Albion 1 after 70 minutes at Molyneux that goal from Alexis McAllister uh, from the penalty spot just before half time as well Liverpool of course 1-0 winners over Newcastle at St James's Park a little bit earlier and uh, Manchester City out at half past five away to uh, Leeds United at Ellen Road we'll have all the team news from that game just after this ad break as well so uh, off the ball football Saturday here on Newstalk we're uh, live until five and uh, stay with us back after this very welcome back to Off the Ball Saturday here on News Talk. Shane Hannan with you through until 5 pm this evening. 53106 for the text number. You can watch us live as well on uh, youtube.com forward slash off the ball on our Facebook and indeed on our Twitter. We have Graham Gartland, Johnny Ward, and Simon Cox in for Off the Ball Football Saturday uh, from now until the end of the show as well. A lovely text in from Connor Morris, of course, renowned rugby commentator with ourselves here on Off the Ball and, as well. And, and football back in the day. And football back right? in the day, of course. Anton Rogan, most one footed player ever, didn't own a right peg, the former Celtic uh, player. 
of course. Like Connor was actually quite left-footed. He's a really good Astro player. Connor Morris, yeah, right? Really good Astro player. Both he and Des Kern, I the the joy of playing with 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 or against him at one point in in Satanta, and they were very very good footballers. And you could tell that like they were going to be good commentators because they understood the game. <laughs> and that, that sounds a bit like yeah, Des is good actually. Des actually yeah. play, Des is a very good footballer, and he understands the game. And Connor was um, obviously went down the horrible road of rugby, but uh, yeah, same. Good, good footballer. <laughs> Very left footer though. Dan McDonald as well texting into us uh, usually uh, from this this parish as well of the Irish Independent uh, making sure we give uh, Georgie Kelly a mention we have of course given Georgie Kelly a mention for that a brilliant strike for other always earlier, interfering for, Dan always interfering even when he was here last of course we give him the credit I hope he's listening here to this <laughs> he's like, he's like um, David Brent the office where he's basically like he's long he's <laughs> never a compliment he, he's long start. been sacked but he keeps coming back to the office with his dog and he's kind of just wants to be part of it you know <laughs> in and around the circle uh, jo- Johnny before we move on um, you were at uh, Pat's Dairy last night and a Derry a big win for them they were incredible I was, I was just writing my report in RT like going back to Astro do you know the way if you play you play your, with your kind of regular Astro mates but you turn up at the odd tournament a fundraiser or a charity thing or something and you take on a team you're looking at them beforehand you're like you don't know any of that they might be alright and they absolutely batter you that's what it was like last night <laughs> uh, Pats were absolutely annihilated by Derry and this looked a 50-50 game to me Pats at home advantage. Uh, I, I would have had both them in the title race to start the season. Pats uh, finished second last season. They've Tim Clancy, the new players coming in. Derry were unbelievable. And I was just thinking of Rory Higgins as manager. He's only in the job a, uh, a year. All the players that were pivotal last night, all the players, like the main players that were pivotal, Cameron Dummigan, Will Patching, uh, Patrick McElhinney, Brandon Kavanagh, Matty Smith, right? Just that five, all signed by Rory Higgins. Uh, Matty Smith had a piece in the paper this week where he's living with Brandon Kavanagh and he's living with uh, a couple of others. We've just gone on about they're, they're all new to it, they're living together. The the, 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 the weight of pass from Brandon Kavanagh, Shamrock Rovers let Brandon Kavanagh go. Um, he, was at Derry, he was at Bray last season on loan. I saw him playing. I'm always a massive fan of Brandon Kavanagh. But I thought, like, I don't know where this lad's career is going. He was okay for Bray. Uh, Higgins saw in him enough that if I put him into a system around the right players he was sensational last night and he's like the, the Wes Hoolan of the League of Ireland um, he's the same diminutive left footed like not the quickest but amazing close control and he plays Brandon Kavanagh plays the game in a small kind of area in front of him where it's all about little touches and little passes and little one-touch passes. He got an assist for both goals early in the second half. He went back and robbed Billy King of the ball in the in, in his own box as a really like as a number 10 player. I couldn't get over it. Will Patching, um, you know, his turning and twisting for the second goal um, was just like it was horrible to watch your Pats fan, but what a player he is. Patrick McElhenney coming back, but Cameron Domigan, like for a player that was essentially a fullback who was not always even on the Dundalk team, they put him into a holding midfield role, I think because Kieran Harkin got injured. He was absolutely outstanding last night and he got a goal that would grace any game. It was inch perfect off the post, uh, curler set up by Patching. Um, it was a special, special performance by Derry City. Like I genuinely thought after watching Rose in recent weeks the league they're just going to win the league and typical me I decide that I'm basically wrong two days later when I saw Derry last night it was so enjoyable to watch it was the quality and what Rory Higgins and Alan Reynolds are doing there already it's frightening to think what they could do in management with even better players because the standard was was for League of Ireland standards it was amazing to watch really really was See we're not the Dublin centric media we give Derry credit where credit's due of course we do like you mentioned before before we come on air Johnny as well Stephen Walsh uh, top scorer in the first division. Uh, 30, this, 31 years this, of age. Sorry, what, what's, 
so the, the reason I brought this up was because <laughs> like just because you're a him off now. Here we great, go. Graham, Graham, big, big, big boy Gartland over there. Just because he played at a high level. Whatever, like oh, I, you know, <laughs> I, 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 I was at, I played for Drogheda when they were, you know, a top team, and I went to Scotland and all that. So fair enough. Stephen Walsh playing the first division. <laughs> Stephen Walsh is uh, 31 years of age. He's he's a Galway lad through and through. He's a manager of Galway Hibs, I think. He's played almost his entire career as a fullback. I remember him playing briefly as a striker. So John Caulfield. Two nil down against mates. Like two nil down against uh, <laughs> two nil down against Watford. In, Look at uh, him smiling because he knows. First home game of the Look. season. Two nil down against Watford. It's like this is massive in the promotion race. Um, he throws Walshie on up front. Walshie. Walshie, right? So that's as you know. That's Walshie, right? That's, 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 that's David Brennan. Well. He started <laughs> six games this season. He started six games this season. He's the top scorer in the league with seven goals. He scored seven unbelievably important goals. Two nil down last night. Um, Ronan, Ronan Manning's brother sorry Ryan Manning's brother Ronan gets the first goal an unbelievable goal a Galway lad Alex Murphy who's going to Newcastle a Galway lad he gets the second and who pops up in the last minute with the winner Stephen Walsh who is so my, my question to the lads was do you know of a player who basically changed massively when he was radically changed in terms of his position and I also do wonder what Galway United managers were doing when they never recognised this lad was actually a striker all along he's, he's, he's gonna, he could have been only John Caulfield would play a centre back up front in fairness to him did you ever did just you ever, the whole day against sorry, the John, John Caulfield brought Mark, Mark um, he brought your man um, the, the veteran striker I was actually talking about this today um, he put, brought him up front from Avondale and he put him up front and he was brilliant um, I'll think of his name in a minute but it's the same with was it? Marcus Sullivan he brought, he brought him up front at about 30 years of age and I was actually saying like, you can see comparisons but like some players are just not actually playing the right position all their career do you find that, uh, Simon, like, I'm thinking off the top of my head, Gary Doherty is someone who could probably play centre-half and centre-forward. Like me one day as a striker, man, I'll never forget it. I thought, I'll just come, yeah, I'll just come over and make a tackle because I thought he was, a, he was <laughs> I thought, he's a striker running through on goal. And he went into the tackle like, <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> it was the same game that Ian Hart scored with his right foot. There was all sorts going on. It was madness. I, and I remember thinking, what the fuck? Why is he tackling me like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, like I'd imagine Simon that that like if you know for say for example a striker like yourself if you're able, if you were able to play centre half as well it almost gives you a a, a new a new design on, on the position you, you ordinarily play if you know what a, what a centre half is thinking because you've played that position as well it can only be an advantage yeah I mean I can think of two off the top of my head that Stephen Ward was one mm-hmm. left back played up front with uh, for Wolves a few times under Mick um, and, and a, a lad that, um, that I played with at Forest as well I don't know if you guys would know Greg Halford um, yeah that's right he played over here for Warford yeah so he did you um, yeah listen he was I don't know what 6-4 or so and, and all of a sudden with the big long throw and everything else and you think well if we can stick him up front as well he can cause a bit of havoc and, and he, he made uh, he was predominantly a, a right wing uh, a right back at the start and then he moved into centre half because he was he was so big and then uh, I don't know last last 10-15 minutes of games you'd be sticking him up top and, and then all of a sudden he'd pop, pop up with one and then he'd then believe he was a striker <laughs> I genuinely think it wouldn't be the worst idea for a manager to have like just a couple of training sessions or a couple of games in pre-season just say to the lads play wherever you want here I'm just going to see if there's anything because yeah. the, the transformation that player is is utterly incredible and John, o- John O'Shea started as a striker mm. and then went all the way back and kept mm. going and, and Kelleher is a good one as well so Kelleher, Kelleher started as a striker went back as a goalkeeper Mark Kennedy was a goalkeeper at Belvedere became a Stephen Bradley used to play sweeper wow. when he was schoolboy and it was ridiculously like you go and watch him it was funny 
Yeah. Because he he just dribble out. Yeah. And he plays sweeper it's like funny. Stephen Rice played centre midfield. Yeah. <laughs> but you see, you see, if you did ever, if you ever did like uh, shooting sessions or whatever in the uh, in training, you'd end up finding that the actually the defenders have got better technique uh, than the strikers are scoring goals. Yeah, that, that might be good for team morale. <laughs> did you find that? Uh, yeah. I, I found with the the, the the defenders, the strikers have a quicker release though with that with the shot. They don't have as much drop. Like they don't pull the leg. You know what I mean? That quicker. Yeah. They get no, the shot they, away they, quicker because we, we're they used to hitting longer passes. What's that? Sorry. I said they just enjoy being in front of goal for about two seconds. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. Yeah, we're getting a bit giddy, are we? <laughs> it's it's that thing you just you, you need to practice at it. Like it's a it's a fascinating thing being able to being able to do that at at, at ease. You know, being able to bring that from training and, and kind of switch up positions. You probably see, you see it in Gaelic football quite a bit as well. Like I'm even thinking about from, from a Monaghan bias perspective, footballer like Conor McCarthy who was always a forward now being deployed in the halfback position. In soccer, you probably see it later in a player's career where maybe they're not as fit. They John Barnes winger. is a good example. Oh, for John yeah. Barnes became, he was one of the fastest wingers in the world and when I got into Liverpool, John Barnes was effectively, uh, he was more like Jan Malby. Yeah. He, he didn't move that much but he just ran games. Yeah. I remember... Um, the commentator, uh, the, the veteran commentator Barry Davies, he was uh, one match today. He memorably said he plays the game at his own pace, but he makes it work. Yeah. And I, it always struck me like Barron's dictated the pace of the game because he couldn't run anymore. Yeah, that's right. I, like the, there's a couple of players that either really good athletically, like Steven Gerrard could play right back. He played in different positions, plays a ten, plays midfielder, could whatever position you played. I mean, he's he's at his athleticism and his power was going to make him a top player. Mm. But then those players that have a really good intelligence for the game that can switch and move different positions and still have a good understanding of it Giggs done it later on as well mm. Scholes went from being a, a midfielder that was a goal getting midfielder to become somebody that played in front of the back four and di- dictated the pace of the game but again good understanding of the game like you know mm. it, it's what, like Simon as well we're look, talking about the Champions League during the week and players you know coming into their own in the golden age of their career where they're kind of getting on a bit like Luka Modric 36 years of age talk about a cultured probably both feet you'd imagine like the chat we've been absolutely blessed with the Champions League this season it, it's it, it's another two fingers up to the whole Super League um, saga as well but I mean every single Champions League game we seem to watch at the tail end especially has just been incredible yeah why why we're seeing seven goals in a semi-final now is beyond me <laughs> like, is it the Trapatonian like... he's come back to the Trapatonian nonsense <laughs> yeah. here like yeah. <laughs> yeah. he's, he's doing, doing the Colcom on the game back hey just sit in there lad come on <laughs> he's doing the Colcom on the game and he's giving yeah. out after it <laughs> <laughs> uh, listen it was uh, what a game that was by the way the um the Man City game, like what? I think I think uh, Real Madrid actually came and they they weren't great for the first sort of like twenty minutes or so. At the end of the day, they they end up with a a result that probably looks favourable on them because they can then go over to the Bernabeu and 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 actually have a go at it. Whereas City now, you see their resilience when they played Atletico, have been able to sort of see that game out, which was which was incredible. But it's been a <clears throat> it's been a great. Um, well, what Champions League for the last couple of seasons? To be fair, so this is uh, this is just following on from that, I guess. He is right though. There's there's no way Man City should have conceded three goals in that game. Can I just say one thing, lads? Before we before we break away, we said Watford took the lead through James Tarkowski, an own goal in the eighth minute. Uh, a few minutes ago, eighty third minute, Jack Cork equalised for Burnley. There has been another goal at Vicarage Road. Let's get the latest on that one from uh, from Vicarage Road. Who's it gone to? 
Watford 1, Burnley 2. The visitors have scored twice in a couple of minutes to turn this game around. Really bad news for Watford. It was a free kick that they failed to clear. And from inside the area, Josh Brownhill forced a low shot past Ben Foster and then ran the length of the pitch to celebrate in front of the Burnley fans. Watford 1, Burnley 2. Big, big goal. Big, big goal. Nigel Bidmead reporting there from Vicarage Road. Watford 1, Burnley 2. What does this mean? For the table as things stand, that would move Burnley up to 16th ahead of Leeds on goal difference. Leeds, of course, uh, to to play Man City now at half past five, have that game in hand. Surely Leeds were going to lose that game. You'd imagine with all due respect... That would leave Leeds trailing Burnley by 15 goals in goal difference at the minute. So Burnley have a hefty goal difference advantage over Leeds. And then five points adrift of Burnley and Leeds sits Everton. Of course, Everton have a couple of games in hand over Burnley. But I mean, at this stage of the season, lads, you want the points in the bank. That's an incredibly big goal. Yeah, it's great for um, Collins as well in terms of like I know I know uh, and we've mentioned Seamus Coleman and Simon mentioned him. Um, I think Dan McDonald might even have had an article today saying it'd be better for Coleman in, or better for Ireland in some respects if, if Coleman did drop to the championship. I tend to agree with that. I think um, that's probably the level he'd be at next mm. season. Conversely, for Collins, who's you know had an outstanding run of it, um, were he to be central in keeping them up after this controversial, uh, I don't know what you meant of the dice thing. I mean, I thought he was at the time it seemed hard. But I suppose Look at now Yeah I mean, You know Simon that's a, that's a good point Like yeah. we all queried Burnley's We all were kind of saying Oh I want them to go down now Sean Dyche was a great servant To Premier League His press conferences Always gave us a bit of, a bit of entertainment Felt a little bit hard done by Given the loyalty And the things he's done At, at Turf Moor over the years But I mean You can't fault the decision now When you look at the results And the performances Burnley have put in since You still really expect Burnley to stay up? You don't or you do? No do you And no, I'm asking well, do you? I mean I don't find the Everton. Well, it's the time. It's the the time to be hitting form is now and getting points. And Burnley are clearly doing that. It's you'd be worried as an Everton or a Leeds fan at the minute. I think. Well, I think I think the thing is, is that the only way we'll we'll know whether it's a justifiable decision to snatch Sean Dice is right at the end of the season if they stay up or not. Um, And there'll be two headlines writ, and it will literally be told you so and it will be you know what a bad decision sort of thing um, so we need, we need you to make a decision on so we can have good radio here come on Simon well, it's like we'll wait till the end of the season I mean we've good content for off the ball with the lads you can't nah, just listen, sit in the fence I, there I, I think Sean Dyche would have been fine I think he would have kept them up there you yeah, go interesting take yeah like the Leeds one was probably he has that experience right. so that's, yeah. that's mm. the, the reason I think he, he's been there seen it done it for years at, uh, at Burnley and, and in the Premier League and I think he would have been he would have been fine whether he'd have got the results against the teams that they, they've had maybe I don't know but I think he, he had the dressing room I think the lads were, were still playing for him I don't think that was ever in question I think he uh, but I still think with the experience I think he had the uh he would have been able to get the points. A, a question, a brief one for Graham of Ireland's a myriad of really exciting centre backs. Who's the best prospect? Uh, Collins, because of his youth, I'd say. I like Dara O'Shea. I really like Dara. I thought he'd done really well at West Brom. The break in, he broke in when they were in the Premiership as well, and then they got relegated. So, um, and I know all the managers that have gone in there really like him. I think his distribution. I just think what what Collins has is is height, mobility and, and his distribution is getting there. I think it's I think it you know, in the game he played really well. For me it'd be probably Collins because of he's a little bit younger, so you always go with the lads to have a few more extra years to come.
Uh, lads, Roy Keane this week was very briefly linked, linked with the uh, the Hibs job. Doesn't report suggesting that he probably won't take it up at the minute. But would you recommend as a man who's, who's you know coached at a high level in, in the Scottish Premiership, like great place to, to earn your earn your stripes as a coach? Wonderful club, wonderful academy. They have a great setup. The stadium has got redone as well. The academy is fantastic, really good. The new chairman's come in and he's just sort of going through managers a little bit I think Higginbottom they got rid of Higginbottom after I think he came in after Neil Lennon Neil Lennon was there they got rid of him that was Dempster that got rid of him and then Higginbottom comes in they've you know he's gone on to do a really good job at Sheffield United now then they bring in um, Jack Ross who just left Sunderland and and then they done well they got the two semi-finals they finished third in the league they emptied him for some reason uh, where everything seemed okay like they were on an upward trajectory in terms of like cementing the fact that they were always going to be top six and challenging for cups and then they, they go all out for Maloney like and they, they bring him in from, from Belgium take him off the, for a what a great job there but they give him just such a limited mm. time where like where if Roy Keane takes that job with the history that they have of just emptying managers where does he go after that like yeah. you know this is the thing. Old Firm Derby as well tomorrow. I should mention Celtic and Rangers a huge game to look forward to. Like Simon, very briefly, if you're if you're Roy Keane, are you are you staying in media at the minute? Or are you staying in the in the punditry and and where the obviously good money? He's getting good report. He's getting good headlines from it as well. Like what what would you do in his in his shoes? Uh, stay stay where I am. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I think the thing is though with him though I think he's I think he feels like he's got unfinished business in management. Mm. Um, and that's and that's something that he obviously wants to try and prove to people that he you know he can be a top manager. But for me, I think he's he's just gold in in punditry. So leave him where he is. Leave him where he is. Uh, goal has just gone in at uh, the TV game here in front of us. Danny Ings with a lovely finish. Aston Villa two Norwich nil. It's gone full time at Vicarage Road. Watford one. Burnley two. Fairness, oh. he's doing everything, isn't he? Keane. He was on that lab boy, with Jamie Carragher with the, the glass. <laughs> he's a busy man. All. He's a busy man. He's busy. He's Johnny Ward. Him and Johnny. His Insta stuff is off the charts. Isn't yeah, it? like and it was good actually. The, the the one we done with Carragher where you see that little soft side to him where he's going yeah like I thought it comes across really well there absolutely lads it's been an absolute pleasure we're bang out of time we've had uh, conversations about everything and half the stuff we even te- intended to get into we haven't uh, bothered but we were talking about cows and fields and all sorts of the things the pressure on you to be two footed anyone watching a Monaghan Town Jeez. game <laughs> I tell you what <laughs> imagine he hits the first man with a corner he <laughs> can't even hit with his right <laughs> foot bang average oh, I am no. bang average lads I believe you hit the first man Shane yeah, yeah listen lads it's been an absolute pleasure Graham Gartland Simon Cox Johnny Ward thanks a million lads for everything this afternoon great stuff pleasure. great work we're off the yes. thanks great stuff lads uh, just as well tomorrow Joe Malloy in the hot seat here 1 o'clock to 7 o'clock uh, half 11 on the social media streams as well you'll get the paper review with Dan McDonnell Dion Fanning Eric Donovan at 1 o'clock as well reflecting on that fight tonight Katie Taylor against uh, Amanda Serrano live Premier League commentary Everton against Chelsea Stephen Doyle and Brian Kerr uh, on that one and it's uh, Nathan Murphy and uh, Graham Gartland the man beside me here on West Ham United against Arsenal that's a half past four kickoff on that one we have reporters across the GA grounds as well James O'Connor Cork Clare James Skehel at Gawick Kenny and Darren Clark at Darren Louth so uh, loads more good stuff to come tomorrow but for now thanks a lot for listening today speak to you soon bye bye